Quinshawn Judkins is in a class by himself, but we'll go over the top 10 running backs in the SEC anyway. Also, is Greg Sankey the secret weapon for all those in hopes of a nine-game conference schedule? We'll explain. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for making the Locked On on this podcast your first listen every day. We are, in fact, free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Give us a subscribe. We would appreciate it, both podcast and YouTube, if you would. Just give us a subscribe there. All right, this episode is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hi, I'm Stephen Willis, and this is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast, and we've got stuff to talk about today. And we're starting by comparing Ole Miss players to the other players in the Southeastern Conference, and today it's a runaway. It's running backs. We're going to be talking about how great Quinshawn Judkins actually is. Uh, But this is from the USA Today um, in their college sports wire section. They kind of go around. But they ranked all the running backs in the Southeastern Conference and we'll automatically tell you, Quinshawn was number one. They say Judkins burst onto the scene in 2022 after signing with Ole Miss as a three-star prospect. Despite splitting time with Zach Evans early on, Judkins took over the lead back duties and led the SEC in rushing. We expect an even bigger campaign in year two underlying Kiffin for the SEC freshman of the year. Special, special running back. But whenever you look at other players that are coming on, there's really only one player that's even deserves to be mentioned in the same breath at this point as Quinshawn Judkins. And that's probably Raheem Sanders, Rocket Sanders up at Arkansas. Now, he might be the SEC rushing leader this year. He, I keep thinking about who I would take as the SEC rushing leader. And we need to keep in mind that Rocket Sanders was at, um, he's at Arkansas. Dan Enos has taken over as offensive coordinator from Kendall Bryles. If people don't know, Dan Enos was the offensive coordinator in Arkansas under Brett Bielema, Burt. Um, and so running the ball, they should be pretty good at it, honestly. So we'll see exactly what he does. Um, you know, Rocket Sanders rushed for 1,443 yards, 10 touchdowns. 12 overall, had nearly 30 catches. So, But that was in the Kendall Bryles system. We'll see. I, I had these same questions about K.J. Jefferson yesterday. I don't know how they're going to translate from system to system. It's not a home run. There's no such thing as just a good football player. You're always a good football player doing something. But you're never just a good football player, unless you're Suntarian Perkins, potentially. The third one is Montrell Johnson, running back for Florida. Yeah, seriously, running back for Florida. Rushed for 841 last year, 10 touchdowns. Um, He splits um, carries, if I'm not mistaken, with Etienne. Um, Should be interesting to see there. But number three was Montrell Johnson. Brian Batty, Battle, or Batty, Brian Batty at Auburn. Um, I, I haven't heard of this kid. He must have transferred in, honestly. But he's rated pretty highly, so he's probably a good player. 
I'm not aware of this player. He says here he rushed for twelve, nearly 1,200 yards last year, nearly seven yards a carry, eight touchdowns. So he provides a little bit of a big play threat, so we'll see exactly what he can do. But the first time, the next time I watch this kid play will be the first time. Jace McClellan, number five, Alabama Crimson Tide. Makes sense. Um, Jace McClellan was probably the best running back for whenever they wanted to play murder ball, which they did against Ole Miss in the second half of the Ole Miss-Alabama game. It was very effective. Jace McClellan has a chance to be effective in an offense. And he is um, probably going to be starting over two five-star true, true freshmen. Really interesting setup with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Ray Davis is up at Kentucky now. He was at Vanderbilt. He was a good back. I raved on him last year. Now he's at Kentucky. He's going to be there with Devin Leary in that Liam Cohen office offense. I expect it to be pretty good. I really liked um, Ray Davis last year. Kendall Milton, I don't know why he's down so low. George is a situation like Alabama is. There's five stars, like an assembly line of them. Um, rushed for 600 yards, eight touchdowns last year. Five catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Um, but he'll be important for Carson Beck or whoever wins the starting job there. Jalen Wright, Tennessee Volunteers. I think um, Jabari Small is probably a preference to me. But Jalen Wright does run hard. He did run hard last year. Um, so we'll see what goes on there. Number t- nine, Jaquavius Marks, Mississippi State. Gets to learn how to run the ball this year. Um, they're going to do some of that stretch stuff that Appalachian State did last year. He had 582 yards rushing, nine touchdowns, 48 catches, 288. He's obviously receiving threat out of the backfield. Good hands. So we can see exactly what he can do as well. Noah Kane, number 10, LSU Tigers. He only rushed for 409. LSU, I'm telling you, I go back and forth with the LSU Tigers. In one breath, they are right there. 12-0 is a possibility for them. And another one that's like 8-4 and and just a mediocre team. And a lot of it depends on that offensive backfield. Noah Kane needs to be a guy. Um, Jaden Daniels needs to be a guy. If they can do that, they'll be all right. Because they have skill-type players. So we'll see exactly what LSU does. They're doing pretty well in the state of Louisiana and recruiting right now. Juju McDowell, South Carolina. He only ran for 219 last year, three yards a carry. I, 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 don't, I don't understand this one. Um, Marshawn Lloyd transferred to Southern California, which that's actually a good transfer, Marshawn. So we'll see if Juju McDowell can be an exceptional player. Mari Daniels, another one that didn't, didn't do much last year, projected at Texas A&M on this list. And Cody Schrader. This was, he was a good little back last year for Missouri. Nearly 800 yards rushing, nine touchdowns, catch the ball out of the backfield. I, th- I think he's a little bit underranked, um, especially over the ones that have not done anything. And I think um, if you're going to put people on that that hadn't done anything, you need to put Reuben Owens on the list for Texas A&M. But that's the top 14 running backs. Quinshawn, by far, over 98% of them. The only one they could even think about being in the conversation is Rocket Sanders. It's just kind of the way it is and and, and should be a lot of fun there. So I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. 
Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. That's because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. They've raised that up a little bit. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Now, I do realize in the state of Mississippi, it's a brick-and-mortar casino-type sports gambling operation. I get that. This app is super safe and secure and easy to use. If you go to Memphis, if you go to Jackson, Tennessee, Nashville, if you go to Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Shreveport, Delta, Louisiana, the FanDuel Sportsbook app will be there. So if you sign up for it, you can use it if you're going into bordering states in the state of Mississippi. So use the FanDuel Sports app. Get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow. Thank you, A, so much for being an everydayer. It doesn't, you don't know how much that means to me. But tomorrow we will continue this 8-9 game thing until it reaches its conclusion. One way or another, towards the end of the week, we are going to talk about that every day. We're also going to continue top 10s. Um, tomorrow on the show we'll be doing top 10 wide receiver rooms around the SEC. We've done quarterbacks. We did running backs today. We'll move on to wide receivers tomorrow. Speaking of wide receivers, the Ole Miss Rebels got a commitment. Yeah, I'm not messing with you there. They got a commitment from Raji Dennis um, from Edna Carr in New Orleans. Um, This kid is a burner. All right. This is the one thing you need. When you watch this video and everything is going on with him just outrunning people, Tell me right now, he does does he not remind you of a taller Trendon Holiday? Now, I'm sure they're going to use him to stretch the field because if you look at him, you can see exactly why that would be beneficial for a team that has so many bigger, larger style wide receivers. This guy was like, I think he's a 10 3, 100 meters guy, 10 2, um, 20, 20.1 second, 200 meter guy. This guy can fly. And it's important for Ole Miss to have players like that that can do certain things as well. I like Raji Dennis. Um, I do think the wide receiver class has a chance to get pretty crowded for Ole Miss in recruiting because if you look at their recruiting class right now, Ole Miss is doing pretty special things. Now, I'm not saying Ole Miss is going to get all of these recruits. Do not hear that. But if you look at the on three recruit prediction machine, I think it's RPM or whatever whatever they call it. It's their version of the crystal ball. It just is. But they give percentages of the schools that are on the top and that are in it, essentially. And if you just go down the top 10, Ole Miss is showing up on nearly every one of those. There's one or two players that just don't like Ole Miss because, honestly, I don't care if you're from Mississippi – there are going to be one or two players that just don't like Ole Miss. It's just like there's going to be players that doesn't like Mississippi State. It just is what it is. And you can talk about reasons, one or no. I think that Ole Miss, when they got their war chest, remember when they got their war chest, when Lane Kiffin did his thing and got 
millions upon millions of dollars from Ole Miss fans. I think that money, we were expecting that to go to the transfer portal because that's what we were recruiting with. But they saw that money as an opportunity to make a splash in the high school market for better or for worse. And they have players that they've had success with that they can point to. But I think inside the state of Mississippi, that war chest, that NIL war chest, is being put to use in a way that gives them an absolute advantage over the other in-state school. Even they will admit that. They're spending their NIL money on transfers and things like that. But recruiting high school-level players, Ole Miss is kind of, as far as the in-state school in Mississippi, going above and beyond where other teams are really going right now. It's If you look at Camarion Franklin, it's Ole Miss versus Tennessee. If you look at Jamonte Waller, it's Ole Miss versus Penn State or Florida or Miami, you know, that those type of things. But it's like Ole Miss are out-of-state school. You're seeing that on a lot of guys. But Ole Miss has already gotten Jeffrey Rush. They've already gotten Chris Davis. and they're, They've gotten seven or eight high school players already committed to them. So that lets you know that maybe I'm sitting here thinking, you know, maybe this high school recruiting is some sort of a semblance of a thing with Lane Kiffin putting down roots in Oxford. I mean, anybody can see that. Everybody probably can. I'm not doing anything profound there. I think that the way it looked, and he got to Ole Miss, and his idea, and you cannot convince me otherwise of this, okay? So don't even try. Lane Kiffin, from the moment he got to Oxford, was trying to get out of Oxford. Whether that is some other big job or not, every offseason, when major jobs came up, we heard Lane Kiffin's name associated with that. The transfer portal was used heavily because winning now became the main philosophy for Lane Kiffin. Let's win, win a lot of games, get out of here. And this isn't a slight towards Oxford, Ole Miss, or anybody, or even Lane Kiffin, but this is just what I think has happened. So after the first year, they go 5-5 five and five and win the Outback Bowl. Okay, The next year, they go 10-3, and three, lose the Sugar Bowl. First year, you heard rumblings of Oregon. The second year, you heard rumblings of, I forget who it was, but there was rumblings. But the third year, whenever they had the Texas Bowl, it actually started up during the season. Okay? During the season. That led to a groundswell. The Ole Miss fan base came through like I haven't seen in quite some time. It was like the NIL war chest went from like $2 million to like $15 million in the matter of like three months. They were serious. They were excited. They enjoyed the Lane Kiffin drug because that's essentially what it was. It's like putting ethanol in a gas tank. And... They like the drama that goes along with it. They like all of this stuff. It might drive them crazy. It might drive them mad. But they want to keep riding the roller coaster. So after the Auburn situation, I do think it just became clear. It's like, hey, there's only like seven jobs in the country now that Lane Kiffin can take. That's where Ole Miss is paying now currently. And 
I think he started to think it was like, well, let's let's slow burn this a little bit. Let's not do everything. Let's not put all of our eggs in one basket for the transfer portal. And I do think that is showing up with like eight players in the state of Mississippi. Now, this could just be a generational type class for Mississippi. And Lane Kiffin has taken advantage of Starkville being down and he can go and make some hay, keep the keep these players home, and all of a sudden he has a chance to do something pretty special. That is absolutely possible. But it could also be possible that these high school players that they want to develop, he sees it as him having time to develop them, finding players that he can make into good players. You have good football coaches on the staff. Now, if we get to find out if they can how well they develop, we'll get able to see that because Rajay Dennis. Very, very fast player. Very good player. Like I said, he reminds me of a taller Trendon Holiday. And he is an absolute burner. I've seen comparisons to Mike Wallace. That probably works. He's another New Orleans kid as well. Um, but we will see exactly what Raji Dennis does um, when he gets to Oxford. Anyway, when we come back, we are going to get in on the 8-9 and nine game schedule scenario. Yeah, it's just a mess. Um, We're going to talk about that in just a second, so stick around. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Upvote, comment, all of that would be great. Also, subscribe to our subtext community. Even if when we get information, which doesn't happen often because that's not what we do. We're not a news organization. Um, We do put in the subtext first because they deserve it. Um, Some people go there to get their links. You can interact directly with the show, ask questions if you have them. But also, you can look at it like as a $5 a month tip for all of the great content that we put out. So go there and check that subtext community out. You will not regret it. It should be pretty good. We're going to do during the season once the subscriber count gets up, specialized um, videos, things like that, just for them. We're going to make them a special segment of the Locked On Ole Miss audience. Um, So we'll see exactly what happens. We're still going to do everything for free that we do here. So what you see now, you're still going to see. We're talking about extra videos. So, all right. This is interesting to me, all right? We have talked for two days about an eight or a nine game schedule, and there's been assumptions being made by reporters. And what we're learning right now is there are variances in reporting. Okay, so it's one of those situations where is are one of them is one of them right? Um, which one is right? But this is from Brandon Marcello from Twenty Four Seven Sports. He says eight or nine games? Question mark. The SEC commish has a preference in football scheduling debate. Ooh, Navy SEALs. All right. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has a preference in the debate of whether to play eight or nine conference games. That's Brandon Marcello from 24-7. Sankey has kept quiet publicly on which model he prefers, but privately the boss has communicated that his preference to administrators and that he is ready to ask coaches, athletic directors, and presidents to do what he believes is best for the SEC. This is unbelievably awesome news, people. If they remain at 
a standstill in the Conference Springs meeting, he revealed Sunday evening. Sankey detailed the pluses and minuses for both models on the eve of SEC meetings during an hour-long discussion with a select group of reporters. Ooh, a select group of reporters. Basically, that means a bunch of guys that have carried their water for a year, and they're happy with them. So this is their reward. This is the bone they get. The concern some schools believe a ninth conference game would lead to fewer bowl-eligible teams. Like I said, if that Birmingham Bowl is that important, the revenue that um, the SEC is getting right now more than makes up for that. Is it just the prestige of getting to the Birmingham Bowl? That, that is weird. Sankey argues that more games provide a more equitable schedule, and data shows only a marginal change in bowl-eligible teams. Um, for people that were in my comments yesterday or two days ago, um, that, that is interesting because they were preaching um, schedule equity, even though they play the three teams in question every year already, so that's weird. He offered a comparison to the SEC's baseball strength of schedule, which results in a healthy representation in the postseason. The membership adopted in March a format for baseball that eliminates divisions and includes eight rotating series and two permanent rivalries each year. They, that's the key that everybody needs to know. They've already done all these schedules in all the other sports. The only one that it's hanging up on is football. I get that football makes all the money, and I get that the SEC is trying to do a cash grab or something at the moment, but Greg Sankey saying nine games anyway, and kind of, it was like, hey, let's kind of figure out how to take do this and figure out how to make it work best for us. I think he might be on the fan side. I'm telling you, I'm unbelievably impressed um, with the comments that he made. Now, even so, it appears Sankey is ready to ruffle feathers and steer the conversation of membership if it remains at a standstill. The SEC requires a simple majority of a vote of eight to six to adopt legislation. Incoming members, Oklahoma and Texas, do not have a vote, though they will both have communicated their preferences to adopt a nine-game model, sources tell, 24-7 sports. They only need eight. They're almost there. So if Keith, Keith Carter, for instance, decides that Ole Miss is going to be in favor of the nine-game schedule, it's probably going to pass. That'll probably be the eighth vote there because I do think Auburn's going to do it. I do think Tennessee's going to do it. I think you have a block of five teams right now. Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, South Carolina, Mississippi State. That's five teams. One more team can go over to the dark side. All right? But two teams cannot. So Vanderbilt, just as a thing, can just automatically go over there and they'll be fine. I don't think they will. I don't think Vandy's that concerned about it. What's the every game's a tough game for Vanderbilt. So this is an important part that I think people need to pay attention, and especially in this world where money is everything, and it absolutely is. If you have money, it's everything. Remember back in the '80s when the saying was "greed is good." I guess that was like Wall Street or something. Michael Douglas. Yeah, this is that on steroids. But Greg Sankey says, money follows, it doesn't lead. That's the same here. When all you do is chase money, 
you make really bad decisions. That's my view, and I'm watching that uh, in college sports right now. Football players transferring and realizing maybe what they were promised isn't real. If what we're doing is chasing money, then we're going to make some. Um, then we're not going to make some very good decisions. We have not done that, and we won't do that here. That that that's an amazing quote. That's an amazing quote, and that makes me feel fantastic. ESPN becomes the SEC's exclusive broadcast partner starting in 2024 after signing a supplemental deal that pays the conference more than $3 billion for a package of its most watched games. Yeah, the CBS game. That was one game they got $3 billion for. And I think we need to keep that in mind. ESPN and the SEC entered a massive 20-year agreement in 2013 with the creation of the SEC network. So it's halfway done. We got about 10 years to go before all of the TV rights come up. But just the primary, just the former, just the CBS game, moving over to Disney, has put the SEC at $3 billion. Think about what that is worth. That singular game is worth. And I would argue that ESPN and Disney is overpaid for that. They have, and they did that on purpose because they assumed a non-game conference tournament. Now everybody's talking about more, 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 and they're going to try and extort the ESPN for money on these extra games. But I'd still say if the SEC wants more revenue, tell them, hey, we're going to put it on your platform. We want an extra SEC network game. That's it. Take the extra game, put it on SEC Network. Make it a Thursday or Friday night game. Do it every week. Make it a conference game. And that'll cover the extra conference game in the season. You want more revenue? There it is. But I am pretty, pretty excited about what happened today. This this was, in fact, really, really good news. So thanks for making the Locked On Ole podcast your first listen every day. Every day is my Folks, my people, tomorrow on the show, we're going to go over the wide receivers and we're going to continue this eight and nine game um, scenario back and forth. So it should be pretty interesting indeed. But thank you for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Howdy toddy.